entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Really, it's like creating the Iron Man suit as a car. They're big projects. There are hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars on the line. A price class above what anyone else has ever made before. I think they're almost alive, you know, because if you look at a, a biological entity like a human being or a dog or a horse, the difference is, of course, self-consciousness. Super sports guys, sometimes from A to B, sometimes from A to A. Perciò eh, l'automobile eh, ti consente di comunque aparcare tutta una serie di, 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 di spazi e, e di soddisfare richieste infinite. So as long as one manufacturer is making a car beyond what anyone else can, a child looking at it will say something better is possible. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. This is Keith Martin publisher of Sports Car Market and American Car Collector, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Welcome, you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can hear us live in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us, and if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to Google, did I say Google? Google, uh, NostalgicRadioandCars.com, where all 270-some-odd shows are, no, 200, 670 shows. Wow, we're coming up on our... Uh, we're going into our, uh, we're almost at the end of our 13th year, which makes it almost 14 years on the air, which is pretty cool. Anyway, we got an exciting show for you tonight. We have part two with a gentleman that was on our show last week, uh, and he's a former designer with uh, General Motors. I also have another friend of mine coming on here in a few minutes, because we're going to be talking about some of the upcoming events, and I think it's time to welcome my friend... And the founder of the Palm Beach Concourse, my good buddy, Sidney Vallon. Sidney, how are you doing this evening? Hey, good. How are you tonight? How are things in South Florida? What's your weather like down there? 
Beautiful as always. Beautiful as always. I love an optimist. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. we got this. We got an exciting event coming up. We got the. Is it the fifth annual uh, Palm Beach Concourse coming up? You got it. The fifth annual Palm Beach Concourse happening this Sunday, December uh, the tenth. So it's, it's amazing. It's going to be great. We're excited. A lot of work. Oh, I, as and, and and I'm sure you're doing a great job. Now this year you've got a very very special location. Tell us about the location. So everything happened very quickly in the last few weeks, where we had to uh, change the venue. Uh, we're not going to go and waste too much time on that. So at the end, uh, we're doing a Trump International Golf Club. Wow, Trump International Golf Club. I'm looking forward to that. Um, so, whereabouts is this located? And uh, tell us about the event, and tell us about the the golf course, and tell us about some of the cars and all the cool stuff taking place. Absolutely. So, the location uh, is uh, basically south of the Palm Beach International Airport. The event, though, is completely sold out. Uh, the way things um, happened this year was a little bit different, where we did not have general admission tickets or tickets for the day of the event, unfortunately. So all the participants and all the people that are coming, obviously all VIPs and already purchased the tickets way in advance. And uh, we are very excited because, again, the venue is absolutely gorgeous. We have about 100 vehicles, 30 vintage motorcycles. We have a 1915 BSA, 1924 Indian, 1932 Harley. We have some really cool bikes this year. This is amazing. And then we have some uh, some really nice classic cars and some hyper cars. So um, I want to tell you, we have a 1932 Chrysler Imperial. They only made five of them. And this is serial number one, the first one ever produced. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Among many others. Well, highlight some of the other cars there. What else is going to be there? Obviously, it's a mix of domestic and foreign cars, correct? So you'll have some pre-war cars, you'll have some post-war cars, some American muscle cars, and obviously some beautiful European cars. Give us uh, give us some highlights, Sydney. Sure. So we are going to have a couple gold wings. Sorry about that. We're going to have a couple going. One actually is a 55 unrestored. The other one is a 55 restored, which is pretty cool. And the other thing is we're going to have two hypercars. One is an FPC Ferrari Daytona, really amazing. And then the other one is a J50 Ferrari. They only made 10 of them for the Japanese market. And actually, the only one in the United States is coming here Sunday at the Palm Beach Concord. This is really cool, really amazing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's those kind of cars. When you can attract those kind of cars, that sets your uh, your venue, your 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 event apart from a lot of the other ones. Because, again, like you said, these are cars where there's only five to ten of these cars made. And where else are you yeah. going to see one, right? But the Palm Beach exactly. Concourse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so this is really amazing, and we have, uh, again, a, a multitude of really uh, nice cars, and you're going to see on Sunday how amazing uh, it is going to be. So, And we have our great sponsors, again, uh, Superformance. We have Rocket's Ultimate Garage. We have uh, Speedway Vintage Cycles, who is doing a great job with us this year with the motorcycles. This is amazing. We also have Collection Suite. And then also we have Velocity, 
who is going to be here and uh, be one of the sponsors. And so this is really, really cool to have all those guys continuing showing support. But most important, we have to remember we're doing this for the cause. And this is the Mini-Me Foundation working with kids with cancer. And also this year we partnered and we brought in Speak Up for Kids. So foster kids and abuse children. So that's what we're doing. Excellent, excellent. Very novel, very novel. Hey, let me ask you this. Who are going to be some of the uh, celebrities walking around this year? I'm not going to tell you. Okay. <laughs> you got to wait on Sunday. <laughs> I gotta well, my listeners might want to know. You know, they might want to, you know. I, well, I mean, it's going to be uh, so hard. I, I can't, you know, there's certain things I cannot mention. But uh, let's put it this way. The two Ferrari cars that I mentioned to you are owned by a very, very well-known uh, basketball player. That's all I can say. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So they're they're athletic um, uh, 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 celebrities then. Okay. So, correct. And uh, after, after that, there's a couple other people coming, but uh, obviously nothing has been really, um, you know, authorized to disclose, you know, the ones going to be walking around. So... Well, but I, you never know who's going to come to this. Well, well this is true. This is true. I mean, you know, you never know. Maybe uh, President Trump could show up himself, right? I don't know about that. <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on, so he's aware of the event, but... Uh, uh, again, uh, that I don't know. Now, when you do this event, like this particular one here, did you, do you limit... The amount of attendees, I mean, do you have like a quota, like 1,000 people, 2,000 people, 3,000 people? How many people do you, I mean, in, in this that's, particular situation? That's a good point. So, again, remember, everything really happened very quickly in the last few weeks. Uh-huh. So the way that things are happening this year is different than what is going to be for next year. Okay. So next year we're going to be relocating from the main area of the building uh, when you have the helicopter pad to uh, uh, an area where we have a lot more space and we can bring uh, a lot more cars and people and attendees. So it's going to be slightly different. It's just that uh, this year it's going to be a little bit more intimate. We have about, I think, just uh, about the 500 or 700 uh, people are going to be attending it uh, with their cars and motorcycles and their plus one and VIP guests. Okay. All right. Any other cars you want to tell us about that are going to be there? Any other special cars? Uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but let me think. Uh, we do have a 1924 uh, Royce Royce Silver Ghost. We have a 1935 Royce Royce. Uh, they're going to be side by side. This is going to be very exciting. We have, uh, I'm looking at about the older cars. Oh, we have about four or five vintage Corvettes, really cool. Uh-huh. Uh, fully restored, matching numbers. Um, that's going to be nice to see them. I love to see the old Corvettes from the uh, 50s. So I think we have a 54. We have a 57, a 60-something, and a 65, I believe. Okay, good. Good selection of Corvettes. We're great. Now, yeah. sit, sit, go ahead. Go ahead. No, for, and also, what we're doing, we're celebrating the 60th anniversary of the Mercedes-Benz Pagoda. Ah. So I am going to have 10 really exceptional Pagodas right by the flagpole on this day there. Uh, and it's going to be pretty cool to have all those pagodas showing. So yeah. Well, now that's interesting because uh, you also uh, are the owner and founder of Palm Beach Classics, right? And you, one of the things that you correct. do is you restore vintage Mercedes Benzes, correct? That is correct. Anything from the late 1940s to about early 1970s. Right now, we have about uh, three gold wings. We have a 300 SL Roadster and then uh, some old cars like a 1936 170 
cab A that we have. And especially really what we do more and our focus is on the 190XL from 55 to 63. And then the Pagoda, so the 230XL to 50XL to 80XL from 1964 to 1971. Okay. Very good. Very good. So, Sydney, if people want to find out more about the uh, Palm Beach Concourse, how do they go about doing it? So, this year you can uh, see some of the videos and things that we've done in the past by going to palmbeachconcourse.com. You will have to remember next year to really get your tickets earlier uh, because, obviously, we have to submit all the information and the list of the attendees to Secret Service. So, it's very important that people understand that. And... Um, for the Mini-Me Foundation, we really appreciate any kindness and generous donation. They can go to MiniMeFoundationUSA.org. Okay, very good. MiniMeFoundation.org, correct? USA.org. USA.org. Okay, very good, very good. Well, that's definitely a novel and a worthwhile charity. We need to do as much as we can for, for children. In all respects, yes. and uh, and that, and you being a parent, me being a parent, so you know that's that's very special yes. to us. Very important. And so for next year, you know what we should do? We should give free VIP tickets to our listeners. What about that? Let's that's, keep that in mind for next year, okay. and let's have fun. Then we'll do that. Well, Sydney, I know you got a lot of stuff to do. You got a lot of preparation to do for the to get this thing ready in the next couple of days, and uh, we'll see you on Sunday. Sounds good. See you on Sunday. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you again. Very good. Bye-bye. My good friend, Cindy, Cindy Vallon, with the Palm Beach Concourse and Palm Beach Classics. Now, having said that, uh, there's a number of cars. Well, that's the big one this weekend. And uh, we'll talk about the Windermere Concourse next week when i got a little bit more time. But I know we have a guest waiting to come on the show here in a few minutes. So I think what we're going to do is Matt is going to fire up the stereo. And we're going to play another Detroit influence. Well, I'm not sure if this is Detroit influence, but it's uh, it's got a little Detroit in the song here. So here's a little David Bowie, and I think it's called what? Panic in Detroit? That's yes, what it, yes, it is. And I say this all the time. You cannot, under any circumstances, go wrong with David Bowie. <laughs> well, considering also that our guest kind of mentioned this song last week. so. He did. Uh, Let's do that. And then also I wanted to give a shout-out. And, and Well, we'll talk about that. But anyway, go ahead and fire up the stereo, and then uh, we'll be back here in a few seconds with uh, our special guest. You're tuned into Nostalgia Radio and Cars. Enjoy the music. Let's do it.
this is Etzel Ford with the Ford Motor Company, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our uh, special guest um, for the evening. In fact, we're going to welcome him back. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show, former GM designer. Uh, for Buick, Pontiac, and I think he was involved with Cadillac as well. I'm, I definitely know he was involved with Cadillac. I'm delighted to welcome back John Manugian. John, how are you? Fine, thanks. How are you tonight? Pretty good, pretty good. So, you know, it's funny because the other day when we were talking, uh, you know, we were doing, like, last week's show, we t- got into the, the clay modeling, and I was watching a video here earlier this afternoon for something else, for, and, there was, and they were talking about modern-day clay modeling and they were actually using a little like a computer thing that just came in there and just kind of and just basically sketched sketched the whole thing out so that's the way it's done today uh pretty much the the milling machines that have become prevalent in all the studios now okay hey let me ask a question are you getting any feedback right now yes sir i am all right i'll tell you what if you want I will. We can hang up real quick, and we can call you back on your landline. We tried a few minutes ago, but the line was busy. Um, this is this is my landline. This is your landline. Well, try it again. We'll try. Or I'll tell you what. You want to give us a call? I'll give you the number. It's seven two seven. Wait, wait, wait. Seven two seven. Five four one. Oh, excuse me. Seven two, no, 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 no. Seven two seven. That's my number. Seven two seven four four one four four one four four one three thousand three thousand. Yeah, just call us okay. back on whatever line you want. If you got a landline or your cell or whatever, you got it. All right. Hey, in the meantime, while he while John's calling us back, um, one of the things I did this weekend is I went to an auction. Now I'll probably go into this a little bit more detail next week, but one of the cars that was uh, that was being offered available was a very rare 1966 427 four and a quarter horse L72 tanker Corvette. Now that raised a lot of debate because I was there, I saw the paperwork, so I knew the car was legit. But nonetheless. I'm going to go into a whole storyline about how how it works when you go to a uh, a private auction, uh, okay? And then we'll get into that. But anyway, um, our guest John's back on the line, and uh, we're going to talk to John. John, how you doing? Fine, thank you. Is this any better? Uh, actually, it's the same. But let's let's just go ahead. Okay. Um, so all right. So let's. I want to talk a little bit about. Um, we didn't get into. Um, actually, there were some other things I, that that I made notes on. But let's talk a little bit about uh, your tenure at at General Motors and some of the cars that you worked on, because I think some of the guests will find that out interesting. And so when you when, after you were you you left Ford and you were doing the clay modeling and stuff, you went to General Motors, and and I and I mentioned to you off air that wow, your dad worked for Ford, and then you went. To General Motors, and then your comment was, "Well, they were kind of like the leaders in the styling industry," and I will have to concur with that. You know, Ford was a little on the style. I mean, you look at a 1960 Cadillac or 61 Cadillac rather, and then you look at a 61 Lincoln. You know, so all the Lincolns from 61 to 69, even though I like the suicide cars, they were basically fairly conservative cars. You looked at the Cadillac, and they just carried on the tradition with the fins and the chrome, and they were just very elaborate, you know. And even the rest of the General Motors cars, you know, they were pretty relatively stylish, you know. And Chrysler was also very stylish. But Ford was a little bit more on the conservative side. But go ahead, share your uh, your stories about General Motors when you were there. Well, I, I started out in the uh, Oldsmobile studio, 
back when the Cutlass was uh, reigning supreme. And then from the Oldsmobile studio, I went to Cadillac in the early 80s. And that was a very, very dark period uh, in Detroit and uh, in the Cadillac design <laughs> history. And then uh, I was in Cadillac as the assistant chief for maybe five or six years. I went to Saturn when Saturn became a company, and uh, we were commissioned to do the Saturn products. We did the sedan, the coupe, and then I was in Saturn for a couple of years. After that, I moved to Pontiac as the assistant chief designer and then became the chief designer. Uh, and I was in there maybe 12 years as the chief designer. We did the... Uh, 92 Grand Am, 96 Grand Prix, 98 Grand Am, and finished up with the uh, 2004 Grand Prix. Then from there, I did uh, Buick Lucerne, Chevy Impala, facelift on the Bonneville, facelift on the Cadillac DTS. Then I wound up in Cadillac again as director of design where we did uh, two presidential limousines, the uh, DTS facelift, and then the car of the year 2008 CTS sedan, the coupe, the wagon, and all the V-series. Well, now, we're going to save the best for last, okay? So, because, uh, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> well, I, because I, I, um, Bob Lutz supposedly had a stick shift V Cadillac V-Wagon, and uh, and I'm in the long roofs myself, so I thought that would, and they're bringing crazy money on the internet right now. Yes, they are. That's. That's the unicorn to get a to get a V wagon with a manual. You bet. All right. So now tell us what what is the job description for an assistant designer and then chief designer. Tell us what the differences is and and then all the other people that are within the studio. What are their 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 roles as well? Okay, we can we can start out from the bottom. Okay, and you start out as an associate designer, and your task is to provide. Uh, design proposals for the projects that come into the studio. Then you move to a uh, staff designer or a board designer, and it's just increased responsibilities, still uh, providing design proposals for the cars that have been assigned to that particular studio. Then as you gain experience, and uh, if you're skilled enough and have all the right necessary uh, skills, you can be, get promoted to the assistant chief designer. And that job description is to uh, be in control of the entire design of the model that's being done in the studio at the time. The studio chief is responsible for everything in the studio, and their job is attending meetings uh, overseeing the design process, making sure that everything is, is related to timing, getting done on time, meeting with engineering, manufacturing, finance, marketing. So the, the chief designer doesn't really do any, uh, what I would call hands-on designing. Some, some did, but most wound up doing the administrative managerial design role. And the assistant and below 
do all the hands-on uh, designing of the vehicle. Okay, so let's go to the associate designer. Now, is he basically uh, working on a part of a vehicle, or is he doing no. a whole rendering, or how does that work? So in other words, he's not designed just a grill or a hubcap or a, a hood or something like that. That's, that's a popular misconception, Okay, and uh, it's untrue. Okay. Everyone in the studio gets to work on everything. Okay. But it just depends on whether your designs are selected. So uh, you could be sitting there doing body speed proposals for a couple weeks. And if they choose your design, then you're responsible for getting that uh, developed and into the clay. Also, every detail on that vehicle. Now, now I'm talking about exteriors, but certainly everything... On the interior is also the case, but in the exterior, the front, the side, the rear, the wheels, uh, it's all done by the team of uh, usually four designers with an assistant and a chief, and that's it. And we were generally doing maybe three or four cars at a time. So you were splitting your time doing details on one, uh, big picture things on another, uh, and maybe details following up production cars that needed some changes. So you were you were juggling so many different plates in the air. I I used to tell people that there was never a dull moment. Well, we were always so busy uh, doing all the work that had to get done for production that there just was never a dull moment. So let me ask you this. All right, so. You know, if I wanted to be, if I was, if if I wanted to become a designer, yep. then and I and I went to school and I was accepted at the art center or um, college for creative, college studies. creative studies in Detroit. Okay, which yep. apparently does more than just uh, uh, automotive design. The college of of uh, creative studies, they have uh, acting school there and a bunch of other stuff, right? Or they're well. Uh not so much acting, but just like Art Center, they cover all the arts. So okay. that would include uh, game design, film, film product design, okay. uh, environmental design, fashion design, uh, the entire design gamut. Gotcha. Okay, so now if I was a, a, a prospective graduate and that's what I wanted to do, what are the odds of an opening taking place at Ford, GM, or Chrysler where I could get into the design studio? Um, or is that something where, like you said, you know, Bill Mitchell or somebody like that or Bordenay or Virgil Exner would just go to the Art Center or to the College of Creative Studies and say, hmm, I, like, I want to see some, some work here of some of your students, and then say, whoever did this, I'd like to talk to them and meet with them, and then basically pluck them out there and put them put them within the the one of the big three is that kind of how it works or is there a well, waiting list or how does that whole process take place let, let's talk about your your first i guess question or impression okay i i was i was a professor at ccs for eight years and what i used to tell my students was it's easier to become an nfl football player than it is to become a professional car designer Really? And the reason the reason I say that is there are thirty some professional football teams, and generally if every year uh, 
they hire maybe 10, 15 rookies. So of the 30-some teams, you've got 10, 15 rookies. That's quite a few players. Right. In car design, the numbers of openings per year globally are very, very limited. So if each school in, in not only the United States but in Europe and Asia are producing maybe 10, 15 graduates each semester, you've got uh, over 100, 150 uh, graduates looking for work for maybe 10 or 15 positions, 20 positions globally. Oh, wow. So you've, you've got to be at the top of your game if you want to get a job with a major car company. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't be able to get employed but you may not land a job at a major automobile manufacturer in Asia or Europe or the United States. Interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, that, that like you said, this, these are kind of questions that, you know, when, when in, in casual discussion, you know, people want to know. And uh, so because you think General Motors is so big, you know, and they have all this product line. Of course, back in the day, they had five or six different line, uh, yeah, lines. Yeah. You know, and Ford had theirs, and Chrysler obviously had theirs. And you would think that they would have, with all the product lines they have, they would have to have stylists and designers to work on all these various cars and projects. And well, generally, I think GM, the numbers were hovering between 150 and 200 designers. Wow. In North America. And, now, and that was to do five divisions of cars and then uh, two divisions of trucks. Interesting. We were busy. We were busy. All right. So the, in, the, in the design area, there, the engineering was not the issue. It was all style and design, correct? Well, that, that's another misnomer. I mean, certainly we were... Uh, joined at the hip with our engineering partners. There was no way that we could do anything without their help and input. And so we were working hand-in-hand with the engineering organization to make sure that everything we did was going to be a viable product that the customers were going to want to pay for. Now, (laughs) that doesn't mean that there weren't some... uh, conflicts every now and then but at the end of the day uh everybody came to the party and agreed that we needed to get what was best for the customer and to move forward okay now the chief designer basically he had to actually deal with the bean counters and the upper brass and make the proposals and then he would come back down to you the assistant designer and say look uh, the top brass approved this, but didn't approve this because it says it's going to cost too much because the bean counter said this. Redesign it. Is that, uh, that kind of how yeah, that played I mean, out? That, that, in a nutshell, yes. But okay. certainly the, the assistant chief uh, was usually involved in, in many of those high-level presentations. It, it just depended on... Uh, how many high-level people we had. Uh, In Pontiac, we used to have a meeting once a week with the divisional people, which would include engineering, manufacturing, marketing, uh, product planning, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Some divisions would meet maybe once a month. 
uh, it would vary. We would meet with our with our design management sometimes on a daily basis, depending upon how much hot water you were. Okay. Now let's go back to the '80s when you were there and you were working at Oldsmobile, and by the time you got to the '90s. How long did it take from inception, concept, I guess, if you will, uh, to production? Now, I was always told that back in the, let's just say, the 50s, 60s, sometimes they would be working on a car two or three years in advance before it would reach the production stage. And I'm sure with technology, that was exponential. I mean, it was uh, it was expedited. It was quicker. So give us kind of like a breakdown of, of that period. Um, you're, you're right. Generally, the process uh, took three and a half years, and they whittled it down to, in some cases, two years or a year and a half or maybe a minor facelift. It would depend on the uh, degree of change that was necessary, how much money was available, how complex the project was, did we share parts and pieces with other divisions, but generally, it's two years to three years uh, lead time. Okay, even into the 90s? Oh, sure. Really? Sure. All right, so now here's another question, and I posed this question to a couple other designers, and I didn't really get the answer I wanted, but nonetheless, we got an answer. But I want to ask you this one, and that is, okay, so if I look at a 57 Chevy, and look at a 55 Chevy, the Tri-5, the 56, and then I look at a 55 Ford, a 56 Ford, a 57 Ford. Okay, so let's just say, and then you go to, or a better example would be the 5, 55, 5 and 6 were similar, 57 was a completely different car, 58 was similar, and Chevrolet, 5, 6, and 7 were kind of similar, 58 was a radical change, and then 59, 60. So back in the day, when I was a kid growing up in the 60s, I looked forward to going to the car dealership, begging my parents, kicking and screaming, I want to go see the new cars, because they were always different. Today, it seems like they make a run of seven years, change a, an emblem, a little egg-crate grill versus a horizontal grill, maybe a round taillight with, uh, you know, versus a rectangular taillight, a few things like that. So where, where, do, we, where do we go wrong? <laughs> you know, we used to look forward to that. Well... You and I are probably from the same generation because I used to be the same way when I was young. The The short answer to that is if you go back in time to the 50s and 60s, uh, generally each division had one or two cars. Chevrolet had the full-size Chevy, the right. Impala, the Bel Air, but it was the basic same body. Right. As we got into the eight, 70s and the 80s and the 90s, Chevrolet probably had five, six different cars. I mean, it, it became so unwieldy. And today we have probably uh, 40 manufacturers producing probably 600-plus different models of vehicles. It's, it's just insane to try to keep uh, track of all those. So... The business has become so expensive that no one wants to invest a billion dollars to uh, go way out on a limb to do something that, let's say, might be quite different from everybody else and alienate potential customers. It's just the stakes are too high. And 
because no one, most everybody, has dropped doing sedans now, we're pretty much relegated to SUVs and trucks. That's what the customers are buying. Whether I like it or not as doesn't mean anything. That's what the customers are buying. Well, Interesting sidelight to that, when we were doing the CTS uh, station wagon, my position was, and this is back in 2006, that some people were going to get tired of the SUVs and want to transition back to automobiles, and CTS needed to have a wagon to be competitive in Europe and as an alternative to the SUVs. Unfortunately, the, the buyers <laughs> did a 180, and they all moved over to SUVs. So I was wrong on this. Well, all right. Now let's let let's. We got about fifteen minutes left, or a little bit less. I want to talk about Saturn, for example. Were you there sure. when Saturn's inception, when they when the whole concept yeah. came yeah. around? Okay, tell us about that a little bit. Tell us the Saturn story. Well, uh, Saturn uh, was formed into a corporation. I think I, I can't remember the year that Roger Smith made the announcement. It was probably eighty uh, two or eighty three, and the Saturn Studio as a design entity within design staff was formed in in 1985 so that's when i left cadillac and went to saturn now, so did you have the op did they give you the opportunity or were they said did they, or did they say john you're going to saturn uh well it was a combination of me getting frustrated with what was going on in Cadillac at the time. We had downsized the Eldorado and the Seville. I was responsible for the Cimarron in 82. Oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. It, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so I, I guess I, I was so beside myself, and Saturn seemed like a whole new opportunity to do a completely new vehicle, clean sheet of paper, they had no background, they had no tradition, no heritage. I thought that would be kind of cool to be a part of uh, something that unique. And so after having spent six years in Cadillac, I thought, well, I, I've done everything I could there. Uh, maybe it's time for me as a, as a career move to move on to some Interesting. Okay, so now Saturn. Everybody used to say that it was a it was a completely brand new brand, and yeah. the, the 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 concept the original concept was is they were really going after the Japanese market. Now it used a lot of innovative stuff. I mean, the car was basically plastic, kind of like like the Lumina and like. Right. The, uh, so tell us a little bit about some of that th th those ideas. That that car was was filled with a lot of. Technology at the time, you know, the, the mill and drill process on the body like the arrow had used, uh -huh. uh, the lost foam process for the engine. Uh, there was a list of things that Saturn wanted to do, and maybe in hindsight, they, they bit off more than they could chew. That, that's the old adage in the industry that you never want to do a completely new product in a completely new plant with a completely new workforce. That's a recipe for disaster. Usually, you need to keep one of those uh, from a previous vehicle. So Saturn elected to do all three, new product, new process, new facilities, new staff, and 
I, I they probably weren't ready for prime time with some of the issues, the, the fit of the plastic panels. Some people were just bothered by that. The loss process with the engine uh, proved to be problematic. Uh, I thought the cars looked fine. I, as small cars, I, I thought they were very competitive. But uh, mechanically, it was just a problem. But the buying process was so unique, and people loved the idea that you could walk into the dealer. It was a no-haggle situation. They had a price. Uh, it, it was it was more family than it was uh, a counter-relationship. Interesting. Um, so then, what do you think led to the demise of Saturn? Well, Marketing? I left after two years after, oh, okay. <laughs> after the coupe and the sedan were done. Gotcha. Uh, I think a lot of things happened. There, there was, to me, there was a big faction within the corporation that felt uh, threatened by the Saturn process and the Saturn uh, philosophy and draining money from the corporation into this new division that probably didn't belong there. There were probably Chevrolet people that weren't happy with it. And year by year, it's the death of a thousand cuts. It just slowly <laughs> faded away. <laughs> well, they should have sold it to Roger Penske when he made him yeah. an offer, but that's yeah. another story. All right, let's talk about something. Let's talk about some of the really cool cars that you designed. So when you were with Oswa, when you were with Pontiac, when you, and then we'll get to the CTS, because I actually like the CTS V-Wagon. I think that's just a cool car. No matter what they say, that is just a cool car. Thank you. Um, I, I was really blessed to have worked on uh, some of the Oldsmobile Cutlasses, the 88s and the 98s. Uh, one of the cars that I, I really had a great feel about was the 96 Grand Prix. Okay. Bringing back the wide track. I, I think that car, being a coupe and a sedan at the same time, we shared all the front end sheet metal with both cars, the roof panels, the deck lid, the uh, rear fascia. And the only unique parts were the doors and the quarters. I mean, that was a big deal. And I, I think those cars still look good on the road. And then the Grand Ams of that era were, were selling over 200000 a year. Uh, probably after that, it was, it was fun working on the two presidential limousines. That was kind of a unique situation, working with the Secret Service. Now, when was this? What year? Oh, well, we did uh, we did one for Bush, first Bush, and then the second one we did. Of course, we didn't know who it was going to be for at the time, but it wound up being Obama's car, the Beast. Oh, the Beast! Oh, uh, tell us about the Beast. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that that car was like a tank. Uh, its relationship to an automobile was <laughs> slim at best. It just it was. It was like eleven tenths scale. It was larger than life. Now, is but, it is it completely scratch built? Nothing production on that car. Well, I, I'm not at liberty to okay, talk okay. much about some of that, but it was it was based on a truck, and so one one of the things that I I really lobbied for with the Secret Service at the time was. I thought it would be great if we used a Escalade as the base 
rather than the automobile bank. And at the time, they didn't feel that a truck was a uh, uh, the right appropriate image for a head of state. Looking back now and looking at, at those vehicles, and everybody drives around in suburbans now, I think maybe the Escalade could have worked. But nonetheless, they, they wanted it to look automotive, so our job was to make it look as much like a Cadillac as we could. But there were very few things we could change, very few. Interesting. Now, obviously, you, you're not at liberty to discuss the details, but what did it use for a powertrain? Was it a production, or was it a special engine, for example? Can you say that? No, I can't. Okay, we won't say that. All right. Uh, then I guess we can't. Let's talk about the Cadillac CTV. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Were you involved in, uh, what was the, the Corvette Cadillac? The SR, uh, what was that called? No, XLR. no, the XLR. That No, that was done by a very good friend of mine, uh, Kip Wasenko. Kip, okay, that was his deal, okay. The production version was, uh, was Tom, uh, Tom Peters, but no, I was not involved with that. That was done before I came back to Cadillac. Okay, but you were involved in the CTV? Or CTS. The CTS. Yes. Okay, yes. cool. Well, that, you know, so the, the concept was to compete with basically the European cars? Yes, the the first gen uh, CTS, which I think was two thousand one or two, uh, was a result of Cadillac announcing to the world that art and science was going to be the new uh, design uh, philosophy, design vocabulary. So the first CTS was done uh, very rapidly by another group, another team. And then when I came on board in 2003, uh, we were given the task to do the next gen or the second generation CTS. So we began uh, in earnest probably in 2004, 2005, and the car wound up being a 2008, which won the car of the year that year for a motor trip. Wow. And the coupe and the wagon were never ever part of the program definition. We did those on our own. Oh, really? Uh, that was, it, it was an, in, it's an interesting story. I don't know if we have enough time. We'll try. Um, we'll save that for a later date, but anyway, go ahead. Well, we were, we were in the depths of getting the sedan ready for uh, production. And I asked my team one day, what would the Cadillac leadership look like in the year 2015? Now, mind you, this was in 2005. So the guys did a bunch of sketches. Uh, one of my designers, Bob Munson, did a sketch that looked really great. And I said, you know, why don't, why don't we take that a little bit further? So my boss said, let's go ahead and do a scale model. So we did a scale model. And then... His boss came in, the, the vice president of design, Ed Welburn, and he said, what are you guys doing over there? And he said, well, we're, we're doing this uh, two-plus-two coupe where we're going to share all the front-end sheet metal from the sedan, but it'll be a hot, kick-ass coupe. <laughs> he said, well, yeah, it looks great. Let's, let's do a full-size clay. So we did a full-size coupe, and one day Bob Lutz happened to be in the studio for another meeting, and he glanced across the studio and he said, what, what are you guys doing over there? And we responded by saying, well, Bob, we're doing a, a coupe that's based on, this, on the CTS sedan. 
We're going to share all the front end sheet metal. We're going to save you a lot of money, same underbody. And we believe Cadillac needs a coup. He said, you know, that's pretty cool. Let's, let's go ahead and finish it up, and we'll show it to senior management. So uh, sometime later, we, we took the car out on a Friday morning is when they had the executive meetings every week. And we were out on the design patio. And after the senior management had their meeting, uh, Bob, uh, oh boy, my, my uh, memory, the, the CEO of the company, uh, Rick Wagner. Oh, Rick Wagner, so okay. Rick comes out with Bob. The sun is just coming up. It hits the side of the car and lights it up. And Rick says, what is that? And Bob says, well, uh, the guys thought we should be doing a coup. Rick? And Rick turned to Bob and he said, we can't afford not to do that. <laughs> and it was like, are you kidding me? So Rick left and Bob turned to me and he said, you see that car over there, John? I don't want you to touch anything on it. We're going to do that car. And that was it. No market research, nothing. Wow. That's absolutely, and then the wagon, of course. Bob, let's approve the wagon. That's an even better story. Yeah. Well, uh, Don, we are just about up against the clock. Um, All right. Again, I want to. Th- we'll have, save that for another day because I definitely want to get you back on the show again here, John. Sure. Um, thank you for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. It was certainly a it treasure. A Great stories. We'll have to do that because I'm sure we got more. I'll do some more homework, and we'll have you back again on that. In fact, one day what we'll do because Kevin wants to come on at the same time, and okay. so we might have you on and maybe another designer or something like that. But we'll get sure. into some specific topics. But in the meantime, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us. You have a great Christmas, a great New Year, and it was certainly a treat talking to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Right, right. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network. Don't forget, this weekend, Palm Beach uh, Concourse. If you can't make it, I think he said there's a video on it. Go to palmbeachconcourse.com and you can see us. He'll, well, everybody live there. I'm sure there's going to be a drone flying around. There's all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, don't forget, there's other car shows. If you find out, if you want to find out where more of the car shows are going on in Florida, flacarshows.com. And uh, tell your friends about us. Follow us on social media. We're pretty active. In the meantime, get out and drive your cars. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. <laughs>